Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Voki, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I sit down with my guests to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. You may know my guest today as Northwest Fly Girl on social media, or you may even be a part of her Facebook group, United Women on the Fly, but you may not know Heather Hodson. In this discussion, Heather and I chat about her start in fly fishing, her passion for education, and her thoughts on inclusion in fly fishing and online communities. You'll be inspired by Heather's love of learning and desire to grow and change, so don't miss out on her story. Be sure to listen to the whole episode. This episode of Anchored is brought to you by South Dakota and its incredible pheasant hunting. For more than 100 years, pheasant hunting has been a storied South Dakota tradition. And for the next century, they're focusing on making pheasant hunting even greater. Welcoming more hunters to the field, showing the hunting community is for everyone, that's a legacy to stand the test of time. Go to huntthegreatestsd.com to hear stories from women who hunt and learn what makes South Dakota the world's pheasant capital. Again, that's www.huntthegreatestsd.com. So I was born in Anchorage, Alaska, and I was raised in Western Washington in Brush Prairie, Washington. So it's uh, it's about like 40 minutes south of Mount St. Helens. So kind of right on the Vancouver, Washington, Portland, Oregon. It's about 40 minutes north of Portland and like 40 minutes south of Mount St. Helens. So kind of right like the East Fork of the Lewis is my old home waters where I used to swim and fish and hang and jump off bridges. And uh, and that at one time was a pretty famous steelhead river. 
So that was literally like two and a half miles from where I grew up. Right. Okay. So you're a Pacific Northwest gal through and Absolutely. through. Absolutely. Yeah. I am a PNW girl. And that's kind of like how I decided Northwest Fly Girl was, you know, because I'm I'm a Northwest girl. I love the mountains. I traveled to Texas as a traveling nurse in 2009 for a year. And I loved it. I loved I loved the culture. I loved everything about being down there, but I missed the mountains. And so I moved back to, I then moved, actually moved back to Spokane, Washington um, after being a nurse and spending a, a year kind of away. I just, those mountains were calling and I just had to come back. Gotcha. Okay. So how does fishing enter the mix? Oh man. So being, well, being born in Alaska. So my, um, my dad and my uncle, so my uncle actually owns um, Tick Chick Narrows Lodge, which is one of the larger fly out fly fishing lodges in Bristol Bay. So I have a huge kind of, there's a lot of Hudson history within Alaska for me personally and my family. But um, so being born in Alaska and spending a lot of time there and then moving to Western Washington, I always fished. I always conventional fished, right? And hunted and did did that thing. So I've, I've just grown up hunting and fishing. Like that's just, my dad was a hunting guide in Alaska and like the river just runs through my veins. I think it's always just been us. We were, we grew up not uh, the richest family. So really our activities, I mean, Mount, Mount Hood was close, but it was too expensive to go skiing. So we just went hiking, we went fishing, we went hunting, we went horseback riding. You know, we just did what we had access to and that was Mount St. Helens and that was that whole kind of Western Washington area. And so um, I didn't start fly fishing though until 2009. So it was, you know, I was 29 when I started fly fishing. So kind of later in my, my life, my, you know, kind of adult life. And, and why? Why did you decide it was time to start fly fishing? Uh, you know, I think like most women in uh, that in fly fishing or in fishing in general or just the outdoors are introduced to the outdoors by some person in their lives. And usually it tends to be a, a male figure in their life. And so I was dating this guy. He was working at the hospital, too. And we both decided that we were going to start fly fishing. I don't, just out of the blue, we're going to start fly fishing. So we bought a um, couple of fly rods and we went up to North Idaho and we just started fishing. We didn't know what we were doing. Like it was a complete disaster. And um, I actually didn't catch my first fish on the fly for an entire year. Like I had no idea what tip it was. I had no idea what a leader was. I didn't know like, why did I have a welded loop on my fly line? I didn't know shit. I didn't know anything. And so I ended up, um, yeah, just kind of struggling through it. And finally, I caught like literally about like a three inch wild West Slope cutthroat on a size 14 orange stimulator. And I literally was so ecstatic and so happy that I was hooked. And I don't know, you know, like internet was around, books were around, I mean, podcasts were just starting to happen. Like I didn't even invest or I didn't do any of that work. I just went out and maybe it's, you know, my job. So it was the serenity, it was the quietness or whatever it was, I, it, it kept me. And so I just, I held on. And after 2000, after I caught that first fish, I like dove deep and I have never lifted my book or my nose out of a book. <laughs> so I am like the ultimate student now. And I just, cause I want to know why I want to know 
why do I have to use this fly? Why is this, you know, why is the water warming? Why are these bugs flying? Why are the fish eating this way? Why if there's a fin, you know, I just, I want to know it all. And so I um, just dove deep <laughs> and I haven't, I haven't come out from since then. So, yeah. Do you think that's one of the benefits to getting into it a little bit older is that you almost want to make up for lost time. And so you really do this amazing, rich, deep dive. Totally. And I think, um, and doing it for the right reasons too, you know, I mean, there, we all have our reasons why we go out for me personally. Um, for one, I was a little bit more set in my ways, I guess. Like I knew, um, I knew what, I knew that I had a lot of stressors in life. I think that might be a big thing. And one of them just being my job. And so for me, being able to get out and be in out the outdoors and just enjoy stopping and listening to the birds or whatever it is, I think that for me, it was more of a stress relief, you know, and when you're younger, sure, you have stress. Um, but sometimes as you get older, it's maybe a little bit different type of stress. And so for me personally, I think it was that stress relief. Like I needed to get away so I could have that stress relief and just, um, kind of, uh, just regroup and then come back to my, you know, daily life. Yeah. So for people listening right now who don't know you yet, uh, you are a nurse. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially in today's age. I mean, it's such an interesting profession. Well, I, um, so I graduated from WSU um, in the School of Nursing in 2006. So I've been, and I, two years prior to that, I was a nurse tech. So I've been in the healthcare industry for almost 17 years. And I think one of the biggest things for me is I've always, I'm a giver, I'm a caregiver, I care, I want to give. And um, so for me, I wanted to do something for people. And so nobody in my family is in healthcare. And I just decided when I first moved to Spokane, Washington, I was in business. And I moved to Spokane when I was 20 years old in 2000. And I ended up, I was, a, I opened up my own branch for this business called uh, US Filter, which now, um, if you've heard of Culligan, so in the United States, there's Culligan, which is like a residential side of uh, water purification, and I was the industrial side. So I'm this little 20-year-old. I moved to Spokane by myself. The company um, pays for me to move up here, and I I am an office manager at 20 years old. I don't know anybody. And so I end up working in this office um, for seven years and because I had, I had worked for them in Vancouver, Washington prior. And so I move up here, and I just at the end of the day, like I was, I had one employee, but I just, I missed and I didn't feel like I was giving back. I wasn't doing anything for the world. I wasn't, you know, like business to me, it just wasn't, wasn't filling my, my cup, like filling my soul. So I ended up deciding that I needed to go do something. So I went to EMT school first. And while I was, I finally got into nursing school. And while I was in EMT school, I ended up teaching EMT school and survival school through Spokane Community College while I was like going to nursing school. So I bought, so at that point I kind of found my, my thing. Like I was, you know, wilderness survival and I was 
um, an EMT and I'm finally starting to give back to the world. And then I found my calling and healthcare and just giving back has been my calling. And so I went to nursing school, graduated, um, actually was the science student of the year in college, which is really funny. So maybe that's why I'm so nerdy and I am all into my books on entomology <laughs> or whatever. Um, so graduated from nursing school and I started in the ICU and I've been in the ICU my entire career. So for almost 15 years, I've been a critical care nurse. So it's been you know, and at first I didn't know, you know, as a new baby nurse, you don't know anything. And so um, starting in ICU was interesting, but I think it's just for me, it's that adrenaline. It's like that. I love it all. I like that um, autonomy. I like that critical care thinking. I've actually been told I'm a good tarpon angler because I can act calmly in a stressful situation. So actually being a nurse and a critical care nurse has helped out a little bit in my not always, like my nerves definitely get the best of me when I see a permit tailing or whatever, but um, it's helped. And so for me, being a nurse has, for fly fishing, I think that that's why I found it. I think that's why fly fishing, or maybe fly fishing found me. Like maybe that's what it was, is I just needed that that relief. You know, it's funny, my, my sister's a nurse and she also can handle unbelievable stressful situations. So is that just something that you're trained to do or is it something that just happens naturally by constantly be, you know, being put in those sorts of scenarios? I think it's naturally being put in those scenarios. I will say though, I think that there is, there are some nurses that I've worked with that not necessarily critical care, but if I've worked on the floor that actually will, if there is an emergency or something bad happens, they actually leave the situation. So I think that it's, you know, there's uh, kind of, I think it's just, um, we're born with some of this too, you know, like we can actually react to those situations. But I also think it's education, you know, because um, I can go anywhere in the world and be a nurse because the patients are all the same. I mean, the equipment might be a little bit different, but the patients are always going to be the same. They're going to present the same. They're going to have the same things. And by me knowing, uh, you know, so many of the um, diseases or the processes or whatever it is, then I think that because I'm educated, I'm going to, I can handle it. And I think it's, I relate it to fly fishing too, right? Like when I'm teaching, it's really funny when I teach fly fishing, I teach the ABCs. And I'm, I always joke that my day at the hospital is just like the day at the river. You never know. It's never going to be the same and you never know what's going to happen. So instead of airway, breathing, circulation, I look at it as assessment, bugs and casting. So those are my ABCs. Like I get to the water, I assess the situation. I see, are there any bugs flying? Are there, you know, I pick up rocks. Do I see any bugs on the rocks? Then I look for cat. Okay. So if I start to see a fish, maybe start to come up, then I start to think, okay, how am I going to cast? Do I need a wiggle mend? Do I need to do a reach mend or whatever it might be? And so I equate that to my nursing. And it's fun when I'm teaching because I can be silly and, you know, just, add my own little, I guess, pizzazz to it. And um, yeah, so it's just like every day on the, you know, you have to do the work to be a better angler, just like you have to educate yourself to be a better nurse. And so if I want to learn about bugs and, and catch an emerging, you know, 
mayfly with a fish eating it, then I need to know what the heck an emerging mayfly is. So it's all about just educating myself and preparing myself to be out on the water and or out in the in the hospital. So gotcha. Yeah, no, that's great. That's fantastic. I really do want to start to lead into the education conversation because that's where I see you at, at these days. I see you as an educator, a, a community coordinator, a shining light and inspiration. There's all these things that I see you as these days. And it's been an evolution. You know, I've watched you evolve over the last, well, when did I meet you? Oh gosh, like probably 2015 or two pre pre-pregnancy. So oh, yeah. so, 2015, 2016. And you've just yeah. evolved. I, I mean, took, it's I took one of your rapid. classes. I know. I remember you <laughs> yeah. and Julie. And and yeah. even then though, even even then you stood out to me because you were just this like a like sunshine. That's literally what I think of you as is sunshine. So over the years, you've really had this amazing climb, and I want to talk about it. Obviously, you found fly fishing and it made a huge impact in your life. And you wanted to share it. So how did that look? How did it start? Well, I, I've always wanted to just give back. I want to make the world better. And I think for me, I'm such a nerd. Like every time I'm out on the water and I make a mistake or I do something right, I'm always thinking, okay, how I got to teach this. I got to share this. Like I got to share this Tuesday tip or whatever it might be. I got to, I have to. I, I potentially can help someone else learn from this mistake. And so I, even to this day, I, every time I'm out, whatever I'm doing, I'm always thinking, how can I share this knowledge that I just gained? So I think it's just, I've always been a start, starter. I've always been somebody that wants to do, I, I want to change the world. Like I want to make the world better. And, you know, I started this, um, I started a, uh, search and rescue team within the Spokane Mountaineers in Spokane, right? So that was my first like start starting program. And so then I'm teaching wilderness survival and I'm teaching all of these things and I'm um, teaching map and compass and all, you know, everything. And, and I, so I've always just been that way. Maybe it's my parents who, um, you know, just raised me right to be a giver and, and not take, but to give. And cause at the end of the day, um, I, I get so much out of learning and and teaching and and seeing the excitement from everyone. So, as far as like my journey goes, yeah, I'm I'm a nerd. I there is not a single moment in the day that I don't think about fly fishing. And even when I'm at the <laughs> hospital, I'm talking to my patients about fly fishing. Now all the doctors actually like me because they want to find out what's actually working so they can catch a fish, you know? So it's, it's my life. My life revolves around fishing. And so for me, I want to be the best that I absolutely can be. And the only way that I can do that is by educating myself. And so by purchasing, like if you looked here, all of those books, that's all fly fishing books, right? So I just, I'm nerdy. I dive in, I do research, I look at YouTube, I read as many books as I absolutely can. I try to like, I read a lot of the older books too. I get a lot out of um, a lot of the older books. Um, I met, have mentors. I just ask questions. I am like this little sponge and I'm probably annoying, but I, you know, even for me right now, I'm, I'm a decent angler, but I still am always asking questions. 
when I'm going to a certain river, I want to know how do you fish that? How do you, you know, do you fish these seams or do you fish it from the inside out? What flies do you use? I'm always asking and just trying to learn as much as I can because I know that I'll be able to then share that information with anybody who wants to listen <laughs> or anybody that's willing to listen. But from an organizational stance, is that where, like, how did all of that start? Did it just start with you taking a few friends out fishing for some fellow nurses? How did you, how did you start before United Women on the Fly? So before United, I actually started a women's group called Spokane Women on the Fly, and that was in 2014. So when I started, I, I started Spokane Women on the Fly for a couple of reasons. Um, first and foremost, kind of selfish. I wanted some uh, women to go out and fish with in the area. And so, um, and the other part was safety, you know, um, obviously four-legged creatures but I, I'm more scared of the two-legged creatures. And so I really feel like for me being on the water um, and especially in some of the areas that I go out and fish just locally, um, that I wanted to, to fish with people and especially with women. I wanted to um, help share, help mentor, help educate and just make friends. And I had seen a lot of posts kind of in that at that time about safety, but also just barriers um, into the sport of fly fishing. And really one of the ways that I could help with that was easily just create a closed Facebook group called Spokane Women on the Fly and create a safe space that was welcoming to women. And so that's what I did. And I think, you know, it's interesting because Instagram was actually started in 2010. And so when I started Spokane Women on the Fly in 2014, it was actually fairly new. And I mean, at the end of the day, we all know that women have been fishing forever. Like the first book written by written on fly fishing was written by a woman in the 1400s. And so it's it's, you know, women have always been here. We've always been around. We've always been fishing. But I don't I think until social media that actually is what brought women, more women into the sport, honestly. And I think it allowed women to be seen and where they were represented and because at the, representation matters. And so, so a woman wanted to see, you know, their body size, their age, their technique, their brands that they're repping or whatever it is, they wanted to be able to find themselves in those photos. And so Spokane Women on the Fly became really, um, we, it was really popular or really, uh, really active, really fast. And it was from a whole, I mean, from women all over the world were really, um, they saw this and wanted to be a part of it. And so after a couple of years, um, rather than keeping kind of the name self-limiting to Spokane, I ended up starting United Women on the Fly in addition to Spokane Women on the Fly. And United meaning we are, it's not United States, but just we as anglers are united. And so that's kind of how United Women on the Fly was founded. And it actually is five years this month. It's been going on for five years, which is amazing. And the evolution, just as you said, has been, it's been so fun. It's my passion project. It's a lot of work. Um, but it's my family. It's my, these women are my children. And so I, you know, I don't have kids, but I have 4,500 women. So I have a lot of, uh, a lot of family. <laughs> what was the number one barrier that you heard people 
complaining about or, you know, celebrating the fact that they, that they didn't have to deal with anymore? Uh, the number one barrier is just that individuals uh, would kind of not naysay, but kind of naysay, like joke or, you know, make fun of, or here's a great example. There's a woman who, this the Spokane River is really hard to fish. It's a really hard fishery. We have 382 fish per mile. So there was this woman who posted um, both in a open forum and then that has everybody. And then dun, she posted dun, in dun. Spokane Women on the Fly. <laughs> and she, she you know, posted that it had taken her two years to finally catch a fish on the Spokane River. And anybody that's fished the Spokane knows that it's difficult. It's a hard river. And so, you know, our women in this, in our closed groups are like, oh my gosh, congratulations. We're so proud of you. That's so awesome. Way to go. Way to keep it going. Way to keep trying. Way to get better. And the other group was like, well, if, if it would have taken me two years to catch a fish, I would have just got a guide right? Or you need to go get a guide or why are you wasting your time? Like it just, and I think that was one of the biggest things is that the lack of support and the lack of encouragement and the lack of um, education and wanting to share knowledge in a way that it was empowering and a community versus just lack thereof. And um, I think that that's the biggest barrier is that it's just not it's not as welcoming and it's not as empowering as um, some different groups. Yeah, no, that's that's a great example because you're right. The support levels are night and day. I mean, you couldn't pay me to post on an open forum these days or even back then. I mean, I just used to get attacked <laughs> and it was horrible. It was a horrible experience sharing something that made you feel so happy and just constantly being belittled and brought down. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. I mean, I mean, it does. I mean, I'm sure that it can mm-hmm. it can, no. weigh, it can weigh, no. it, it yeah. be a little harder for some people. But overall, if a man or a woman said it took me two years to catch a fish on the Spokane, I can only imagine the response. I'm even belittled in groups for properly handling my fish. You know, so like one of my evolutions has been keep fish wet, right? So I've evolved from trying to be better, like I want to change the world and I want to keep fish. So I'm going to try to listen to the science and try to be to properly handle the fish the best that I can. And I've actually been belittled for even for that. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's a lot of just really interesting things that I just don't want to be a part of. And, you know, I'm kind of one that colors outside the lines and the saying is well-behaved women rarely make history. Well, I'm not going to join a group. I'm going to create my own. And that's what I did. And I can be the leader and I can help um, create this atmosphere and, you know, like the the vibe of it to where we we decide, my team and I, like, there's no drama. Like, we don't put up with that. And if there is anything that's negative, we just, we kick people out and or we talk to people or you know, we just really try hard to keep it on a positive level and to educate and not shame. And that's the biggest thing is um, there's so much shaming going on that and in reality, most people don't know. Most people aren't educated or I'm going to give everyone the benefit of the doubt and that they're not they just don't know. So if we can educate and empower and share information or articles or photos or whatever it is then that's 
so much better. And so for me, rather than um, bitching about being in a group, I'm just going to start my own thing and I'm going to just roll with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how many, you said 45 women, 4,500 women are part of the Facebook group. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Now that's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So to navigate. And that's a lot it's, of, and it's growing. Yeah. Yes. There's a lot of opinions and viewpoints and beliefs. And, you know, I'm sure 2014 to probably up until the last couple of years was, was probably pretty hunky dory. And then we started to think outside the box. And now there are all of these other, um, bit conversational piece, pieces and, you know, um, areas of morality that we're dealing with and, and thankfully dealing with, you know, we're dealing with the whole identifying as a woman conversation. Obviously the, the racial side of things has been airing. And I, and I say this, I'm stumbling because I listened to you. Whose show were you on? You both did a fabulous job. Whose show was that? Erica Nelson. So Erica Nelson, the awkward angler podcast. Excellent. And, and I would never even attempt to have the same conversation that you two did right now at with this at this particular time without Erica here and with a 3-year-old running rampant behind me it's probably not the right time and place for it but <laughs> i would advise everybody listening right now to head over and listen to that episode because you both spoke about some very uncomfortable some very awkward <laughs> things that needed to be discussed but i will be honest i was listening to you and Erica handled it so well and i was thinking i would not want to be in heather's shoes right now i don't want to be sitting in that chair. I wouldn't want to be navigating that group right now because back in the day, like when I did women's only things, and I don't know if it's because it was just a different time in our lives. I don't know if it was with lack of internet. I don't know if it was just that there were fewer of us, but the conversation was a lot less sensitive. And and now because we're thinking outside the box and we're looking at issues like race and gender that do need to be discussed, it's a very heated time in our lives um, and a very triggering conversation for some. So how are you managing that without feeling like you're being attacked or stepped on or like you're hurting other people's feelings? I think being vulnerable is um, a part of it. And I think being un- being uncomfortable, being uncomfortable or being comfortable being uncomfortable, right? That's just a whole part of it. And you know, I've always fought for women. I've always fought for gender parity. I've always like, that's been my thing, you know? And at that time, kind of when I first started, I all, I, I thought that I was fighting for all women. And it really wasn't until, you know, the last really two, two and a half years that I actually realized that I was just fighting for women that look like me. And I know this because- Were you though? And I know we've got a bit of a delay here, so I apologize if it's awkward well, and bumpy, but that's, because that's, I, I, I did hear that in the conversation with Erica and there were a couple times where I thought to myself, well, I know you, I mm-hmm. think. And and to me, knowing you, you wouldn't care if someone was black, white, yellow, green, purple, yeah. <laughs> male, woman, like whoever it is. You just look at everybody. Again, like I said, you're just this ray of sunshine. And I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a white woman. And no, I'm sorry. I trust my judgment enough to know that you don't care what someone looks like. (laughs) So was that really the case that you were just talking to women who look like you? Well, I I don't think that it was on purpose, but it's just what happened. And it's what I was doing. And it's funny because I had so many women contact me and just say, hey, Heather, I know you. I, you know, I'm actually a woman of color and I don't feel like you were ever, um, you know, not 
in my corner and fighting for me. And I think, you know, really what I've come to realize over the last couple of years is that I might not have been doing it on purpose, but I was doing it. And I think that that's something that we all can can start to think about and learn from. And why I say that is because, you know, when you look at United Women on the Fly originally, and you look at our, our social media or our websites, you know, there was truly only one, um, like women that looked like me, that white women. And there weren't, there wasn't a lot of representation. I mean, we, we definitely did body sizes and ages and different brands and different fish species and fishing techniques. We tried to reach all of that. But at the end of the day, there were still so many women that weren't being seen. And so truly we weren't being inclusive. And, you know, inclusion is interesting because inclusion doesn't mean, um, well, I've had <laughs> some gentlemen come to me and say, you know, oh, United on the Fly, you say that you're trying to be inclusive, but it's United Women on the Fly. So you're automatically excluding men and non-binary people. And, you know, the one thing I um, kind of say to that is inclusion doesn't mean that we're excluding. It just means that we're providing a space to those that have never been seen or who have never been given an opportunity. That's inclusion. And at that time, like in the very beginning, um, we were giving opportunities and we were sharing photos of women that look like me and look like you. And there weren't a lot of other women, um, specifically women of color in any of our posts. And so I say that I didn't do it on purpose, but it still happened. And I think that in my own world, in my own personally and professional journey, um, I have to take responsibility for that. And yeah, that is true. Like I have to, I did that. Like that is true. But now in the, in the future, um, that's going to change, you know, because my eyes have been opened up to um, this reality that I I was just not fighting and not supporting all women and not by, not because I wanted to, not because on purpose, but because it just, that's what I did. And so um, that's, that's my change. That's my evolution. And it's, you know, there's so many evolutions in just life and being evolving and even just building new relationships and just, um, learning. I've learned so much. And that's one of the biggest things for the the why, like, why do we need to, why does representation matter? Because everybody wants to feel like they belong. Everybody wants to be given a chance. Everybody wants to be given an opportunity. And I think about me, like opportunities I've been given, like Sean Vicentainer at Silverbow Fly Shop gave me an opportunity to teach the women's fly fishing like classes. And I was uh, I was an okay teacher at that time. I'm way better now, but he gave me the opportunity. And so he's including me, he, that's inclusion. And so for us, for United Women of Fly, how we can be inclusive is we can, we can drop the mic, we can, we can step away from the spotlight and we can give others that have never been given the chance and opportunity. So for me, over the last two years, and for United Women Fly, and for the team, that's what we've learned, and that's it's been so incredible. And like the, um, the who we've connected with, and the the women that are now on our team, and the women that are our educational contributors, and just who we are, 
who's a part of the community is it's beyond anything I could ever imagine. And that's because we finally recognized that we weren't truly representing all women. Is it safe to say that in 2014, there just weren't as many women at all in general fishing as there are now? Totally. I think, yeah, I mean, you just look even in with COVID, right? The number of anglers that have purchased licenses is gone, is gone up. So yes, I think that um, the amount of anglers in general and women specifically is definitely increasing. And there can be a lot of attributes like or contributors to that. There could be, you know, the Orvis 5050 on the water initiative. There could be all these women groups. There could be um, just uh, social media and people are starting to see themselves. So yeah, I think that there's a ton of different factors or maybe there were women that were always fishing. They just didn't put themselves out there. And then they started to see other women that look like them and they started to then put themselves out there. So I think that there's a, a, a lot of contributors to that. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about your team because that's one of the most impressive parts of United Women on the Fly to me is just mm-hmm. seeing how many different perspectives and how many different people you have. So how many of you are there now that are the bones of this? Uh, so we have five uh, admins. And so each admin has a specific role, but really helps make a bunch of the decisions. And then there's oh, there's probably like seven or eight educational contributors which that just keeps adding and growing, which is awesome. Um, I have four Facebook moderators right now, and we're building a regional ambassador uh, system or a regional ambassador program. And then we're also looking to add people because right now I'm doing about 40 plus hours a week (laughs) on this. And so I just need help. And So I've kind of put a a call out for help. And so that right now I have 16 women who have filled out this form. So I just have to go through like the application process. And I'm actually going to have my team interview them with me. I mean, it's this is like a job. I mean, it's so cool to see all of these women take ownership. And like, probably 50 to 75% of people that look at United Women on the Fly don't even know who Heather Hodson is. They have no idea. And that's what I love. I love that this is a community. This is, everyone takes ownership in it. This is theirs. And that's what I want it to be. I want it to be theirs. I don't want it to be a personal thing. And so our team is just growing and getting better and bigger. And who knows what's going to happen in the future. Have there been any subjects that have been brought up in the group that are just too too sensitive for you? Like, I know I've seen some conversation where I've thought, yeah, I'm not even entering into this conversation. At what point do you, as as the person who really is running the group, just have to turn a blind eye to it? Um, I don't necessarily, I will never turn a blind eye because I think um, sometimes we'll just kibosh it, right? We'll just delete it because... We have, um, there's several rules within the group and one of them is no shaming. One of them is drama free, you know, and, but it's a fine line of allowing opinions because everyone's opinionated (laughs) in general, but also allowing individuals to have a conversation because at the end of the day, 
in order to have a well-educated conversation, you have to know both sides. And the, the biggest thing that I've learned and our team has learned is that we have to acknowledge and accept that every person's experience is real. Like whatever they say in the group, you know, there's definitely been a lot of sensitive subjects. And who am I to say, be, just because I haven't experienced what that person is saying that they've experienced, that that doesn't exist. And so that's been a big thing for us. And especially with within our like um, diversity and inclusion training is that we have to know that those are true. Like I don't, I mean, I may never have, have been uncomfortable being in the outdoors, but I know that there are a lot of individuals who are and who have experienced that. So I have to know that that is a real lived experience. And so that's kind of how we look at a lot of those comments is, I think it's really cool that a lot of the women feel comfortable and feel safe that they can actually talk about certain things and in within that group. So I think right there kind of shows that it's a culture that is, um, is a safe place for them to express whatever experience or feelings they're having. Um, and so it's kind of a fine line, I think, to allow that, but to make sure that no one is um, uh, being mean, truly, or or trying to, uh, yeah, like it's it's a fine line, but I think allowing those experiences and knowing that those exist is the biggest thing. So, and that's what our team, I mean, we, behind the scenes, we have chats going on all the time. We're watching different posts, you know, on different subjects. And um, I have had to delete some, I've had to delete some comments. And I usually then like do a selfie video and just like, yo, come on ladies. Like we have to, we have to play nice, you know, like we all, we love that this, these conversations, but at the end of the day, like this isn't the right place for this conversation. So I do sometimes have to be the leader and have to kind of um, put a kibosh on some stuff. And that's difficult because I, when I started this women's group, I didn't think that I was going to be this leader, right? I didn't, I mean, right now we're writing this manual as we go, like structure and now we have guidelines and now I have a how-to tutorial. I mean, there's so much within it. And I never would have thought in 2014 that I would be doing that right now, or I'd have this entire team under me. It's so it's so cool. Like it's it's amazing to I need to add this to my resume. You, know? <laughs> you, you do <laughs> but, actually. Um, no, it's cool to to just <laughs> But just to have a team, and and that's been the biggest thing is to develop a team where we're all have the same focus, and as we evolve together, and that's hard too, is to find the right team team you know team members, and life happens, right? Children, kids, school, work. I mean, so much happens within life, and so and this is all volunteer. So you know we have we have individuals that come and go on the team. Um, but there's, you know, uh, the five main admins are um, kind of here to stay and they're, they're committed. They like United is, is there, that's, they own it. It's their, they have ownership in it. And so, um, and they call me out, like they check me, they're awesome. <laughs> and I couldn't do, I couldn't do this without them. And I joke because, you know, a couple of years ago, I would always say I, 
right? Like referring to United on the fly, I'd always be like, oh, well, I think this. And then now that's changed. Like this is a we and my team, like we are together. This is, we are a group, we're a team and we're in this together. And um, I, I owe so much to all of the women who are a part of it, who have just helped and, and have just given themselves to this awesome community. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's definitely a we, I feel that. I do feel that. And also I would like to just say for the record, I haven't, it's not, it's not a dramatic page, you know, it's, I I don't want the guys listening right now to think Hmm. that this is some sort of like dramatic (laughs) page. I see way more drama on men's pages or on, you know, open forums on open forums (laughs) than I do on on your page um, or on your guys' page. So um, what about the argument that, well, this would never fly if we did a United men on the fly. What do you have to say about that? Because I'm sure that you get mm-hmm. that often. That's, <laughs> oh, totally. Well, I'll just say um, fly fishing is is men. It's always been men. So <laughs> like there's, you know, there's really, we're just, we're just changing it. And I think, um, yeah, if you look at fly fishing, it's the dominant culture is it's male dominated. So it's always been male. So like, we're just changing things. And I think sometimes that's the scary part for a lot of individuals is that they're starting that nobody likes change, right? And um, I think that they're starting to see that. And it's, yeah, all I have to say is that fly fishing has always been male. So it's always been united men on the fly. And so just this little bit of change and here we are. And again, we're not like, we're, we're not excluding men, but we're including individuals who have never been included before. And for a lot of women, that's women in general. And so we're not excluding men. I mean, a lot of our classes and a lot of our events are gender inclusive. Like we, we welcome everyone. And so, but the reality is, is that most individuals that come to our events or classes are women or individuals who identify as women. And I think sometimes it's scary for um, men or individuals who identify as male to come to a class that is led by or as a woman instructor. I think that that um, is hard for some individuals. Coming up, Heather and I continue our conversation. Thank you again to South Dakota for making this episode possible. Hunting brings us together. It's a human tradition. The connection to nature, the adrenaline of the hunt, the satisfaction of eating the game you beg. It's our shared legacy. And while pheasant hunting has always been a part of South Dakota's story, they're making the next chapter even greater. Welcoming all types of hunters and boosting sportswomen's voices, that's a legacy to stand the test of time. Go to huntthegreatestsd.com to hear from women who hunt and learn what makes South Dakota the world's pheasant capital. You'll also find public land maps, seasonal information, incredible pheasant recipes, and resources for beginners. Again, head on over to www.huntthegreatestsd.com. There's been a lot of changes for you recently. So you are a newlywed. Mm-hmm. Well, not anymore. I'm Has it been two, two years? One. One. Okay. Got mm-hmm. it. With COVID, I just don't, I can't keep track of the calendar anymore. But yeah, so you obviously ended up meeting somebody in the industry. Did you ever think that was going to happen? No, <laughs> not, not really. You know, I, I, I've been married before 
And so I will say that I'm a lover of love. Like I love, like there's no such thing as a broken heart. So I um, just put myself out there and I met Eric um, actually within a Spokane Women on the Fly event at Silver Bow Fly Shop in Spokane. He came and did an event with us. And this was in January of, we've been together for five and a half years. So whenever that January was. And he was recently- Oh, I didn't realize it had been so long. Five and a half years. So he was recently divorced. And when I called him and said, hey, I'm going to bring 20 to 50 women to this event. He's like, heck yes, I'm coming, right? And so he did this event for me and he was amazing. And I then went on a month long road trip to find myself. And uh, I went and traveled and fished the entire Western United States for 30 days. And at the very end, I ended up um, doing another event with Eric in Issaquah, Washington at Creekside Anglers or Creekside, uh, the fly shop there. And Eric, <laughs> he, and this, I don't, I, we, as friends, he's like, well, you can just stay at my house. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm a trout bum. I'm a fish bum. I don't have a lot of, you know, like, okay, I'll just, it'll save me some money. And so we ended up drinking two bottles of whiskey. We nerded out on bamboo fly rods and like at three o'clock in the morning, here we are casting bamboo fly rods. And I remember I sat on the couch and I said, Hey, would you ever date a woman who fly fishes? And he said, absolutely not. I would never date a woman who fishes. And I said, well, I would never date anybody that doesn't fish. So you're out of luck, you know? And, um, and we both ate our words. And so now we have like our wedding was, and we have a hashtag, you had me at whiskey and bamboo, right? Like we're super cheesy and super romantic and in love. But um, he, the reason why he didn't want to ever date a woman who fished was because he never, he was a guide, like he guided in Alaska, and he guided in, uh, in Chile. So he didn't want to have to tie on somebody's knots or some, you know, like he didn't want to have to be the guide. And so luckily for me, I can tie his knots on for him. <laughs> and when he came to Spokane for the first, uh, our first date, um, he, I just told, I was like, okay, I have a six pack of beer. I bought you some pizza. You hop in the front seat of my car. I'm taking you to the backwoods and I'm taking you to my world, to my home water. And that was the first time really that he had ever had somebody, especially a woman, <laughs> like, you know, kidnap him and bring him to the most amazing cutthroat fishing and hang out with his dog and just like basically fall in love. So it's kind of a, it's a pretty Aww. fun, amazing story. And he's pretty awesome and he dances. And so that's all I want of <laughs> a, a nice, a nice guy who's a fly angler that will like the same adventures and that will dance with me that, and I got it. So I, I have, it's perfect. We're, we're perfect. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. No, that is hilarious. I do hear men say that they would never date. Yeah women who fly fish in the industry. It's funny because they're almost always in the industry. Mm -hmm. The ones who are like, oh, I wish I had a fly fishing woman. They're not in the fly fishing mm -hmm. industry. So that maybe that's what it is. Maybe they equate it as, as work. Yeah. Or, or if they date a woman that is an angler, then that takes up their time. Meaning, you know, cause a lot of, cause fishing's an outlet for so many. And so if that outlet is what they need, 
And then now they have a partner who is wants to be a part of that, that might be hard, you know, so there's always give and take. And so maybe that's just what it is, is they need that outlet by themselves. And so that's why they choose that. Mm -hmm. So I have a personal question that I'm going to selfishly ask because I would like to know from, this is me asking advice. So I recently have started my own community on Anchored Outdoors and it's fantastic, but I find that I now have to be more professional than I used to. <laughs> I find that I, I watch and it, it could be part, it could be part and parcel with being a mom, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't, I have to watch what I say. I'm not quite as happy to stir the pot as I used to. I find that I am more tiptoeing around my words, hence my stumbling when I was talking about race and gender. Um, I'm just a little bit more cautious. And again, like I said, it could be being a mom. It could be just the whole political environment these days. And it could be being a leader in a community. But how do you manage that? Because I know you like whiskey and that you drop the F-bomb and that you're just this you know, a little bit you know, thicker skin, what I would define mm-hmm. as a thicker skin kind of you know, down to earth sort of gal. How do you manage being a pro and being yourself? <laughs> Can you merge the two? Wow. That is a deep question. Um, Yeah. I think that oh, I got to take a deep breath and think about this question. You know, um, <laughs> I, I've learned a lot in, over the last three years and one of the biggest things that I've learned is to stop and listen. So I'm not as quick to respond or as urgent as I might have been. So I think that that has really helped me. I really think about reacting versus responding. And so, and like, what is my um, intent going to be versus what's my impact? Like what's my intent versus what's my impact? So with all those things, but I think you can still be you. And I think that a lot of times like normalizing yourself and who you are and having fun and and catching trees or saying the F-bomb or dancing silly or, you know, like I think a lot, so many people can relate to you as, you know, as that individual. And I feel that way with me. Um, And, but I do, when it comes to events and when it comes to, uh, talking or speaking, I definitely watch, I'm more professional for sure. Like, you know, I used to be maybe more, and maybe it's cause I'm an old married woman now too, but I definitely was more flirtatious. Like, you know, I would, I was definitely different when I was younger. And, but I, I think when I know that I, that United Women of Fly is one of the leading women's communities in fly fishing. And as a leader, I, yeah, I just, I have to be more, um, more, more professional, I guess is the right word. But I also, I also don't shy away from confrontation, or I don't shy away from what I believe in. And I, I, I'm not a woman, or I'm not a man or a people hater, just because I'm fighting for women's and human rights. And I think that that's one of the biggest things is, um, you know, I want to fight for equity and equality. And so I still stand up for that. And I will say that um, for I've al- just like I said, I've always fought for women, I've always fought for gender parity. And so when I, <laughs> I've lost a lot of I've lost a lot of followers, and I've lost a lot of people, there's so many negative comments and so much stuff. 
But at the end of the day, those are the individuals I don't want to to associate with. And so it's been interesting where I, you know, being professional, but still standing up and fighting for what's right is what I'm always going to do. And so my voice, I I just tend to actually become, I just have thicker and thicker skin. And maybe it's because I'm getting older and I know who I am and I know what I stand for and I know what's important. And I know that I get those text messages and those DMs of women who say, thank you so much for letting me be seen. And so those, that's what matters. So I think still fighting for what you believe in and still being you and still normalizing yourself is important, even though like dancing's not like I'm a, I dance, whatever. I love being goofy. I love, you know, a beverage. I love it all. And that's who I am. And I, I don't ever want to change that. And I never will change that. And if people don't want to see me eating corn, like little, like Tom Hanks and big, you know, on a, on an Instagram story, if that, if that like really triggers somebody, then I'm sorry, but that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that because I've been, you know, and you get the same thing. I'm sure you, I know you do on a whole nother, another level than I do, but yeah, I get shamed all the time for I'm traveling when there's COVID, even though we've all been immunized and the CDC says we can, you know, like there's so much hate out there and there's so much, um, yeah, I was eating some corn and they were like, well, what does this have to do with fly fish? Like just going off on me. Right. And it's just, it, it is what it is. I know. It's so- <laughs> I don't understand. I don't, I don't, I don't. Okay. So like, uh, are you not allowed to do anything else? Yeah. Well, you can't be goofy apparently and you can't have fun and I can't celebrate a white fish or I can't celebrate a small fish or I can't celebrate joking and catching a tree, you know, and I, I, to me, I want to normalize all of that because at the end of the day, like it's not just catching a big brown trout. The reality is we all like very few of us catch a big brown trout and a big streamer. And the reality is most of us don't catch steelhead, you know, like all of these things, who ca- who of us have caught permit, right? Like that's a whole nother level. And so I want to normalize what the reality of fly fishing is. And the reality of fly fishing is we get skunked, we catch trees, we catch our hair, we get our flies in our cheeks, um, we catch small fish, you know, like I want to normalize all of that. And um and sometimes the community and all, you know, like what I see, like Instagram shows one thing, but the reality is so different. And so I just want to normalize what's normal. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that too. Cause it gets boring scrolling through Instagram. Totally. Like let's have fun. Let's just, yeah, let's, we all can learn from our mistakes. And if we all talk about them and we laugh about them, laugh at them and we share like our real experiences then that's how you're going to um, connect with everyone. That's like the true connection. That's how somebody can um, relate to, you know, to somebody. And like, I just did a spay. I'm actually teaching a spay class tomorrow and uh, online spay class. And I, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that you have to cast far when you're spay casting. That's such a misconception because all I would say, 75% of my fish have been short cast. So like normalizing that kind of stuff and really talking about it and making it to where it's obtainable for an average angler or a new angler is so important. 
And if that makes me unprofessional or if that makes me, you know, if people laugh or if they don't understand, then that's okay. I'll do that every, all the time because I want, I just want it to be normal. (laughs) So what's next for you? Because I don't know if I know anyone who's busier. I really don't. Um, Being a nurse right now must just be a whole different story. But between that and then managing the group, is it, is it sustainable? Can you keep this pace? (laughs) No, I can't. Um, so I'm going to add to the group, to the team, but that just adds a whole nother level of time and, um, super like supervision a little bit, um, and creating how to manuals and all this stuff, but really I want to continue education. So I foresee in the future, just really, um, honing in more so on teaching. I want to teach. I love teaching. It's it's me. This is I identify as an instructor and as an educator. And so, yeah, I would love to teach more. I love. I can't wait to get in person. Um, I've been studying for my CI for ten years now. <laughs> so, um, which is a journey all in itself. And so, I really want to get my um, casting certification. Um, and not necessarily. It's more for me. You know, like, um, I really want it for my own personal, like, self, because I've been working so hard at it, I just have never taken that stupid test. (laughs) But yeah, so I want to get my CI, and I want to continue to educate, and I'd like to educate more individuals than just women. I'd like to expand that to all genders, to everybody. Um, And, you know, right now, all the classes are um, open to everyone, but the reality is um, women, most, mostly women take the classes. So who knows, maybe there'll be another, um, maybe I'll have start something else that's all on education or something. I don't know. I just, I really want to educate and just continue to share the love and mentor and create mentors. Cause I want to, I've been given opportunities, you know, and so I want to give others the opportunity to be a mentor and to be an instructor, So those individuals who have never been given a chance um, can be those future experts. You know, I look at all of the authors, maybe I'll write a book. Like I look at all the authors and I, you know, there's, there's, I mean, we could probably count on the, on our two hands, how many women authors there are in fly fishing. So maybe, you know, I, I, I would love to see more women write books. I would love to just see more, more of that. And the one thing I always say too is, you know, like people say that they are going to open up the, the, give a couple chairs up to some women, right? Or open up like the table so we all, can all collaborate. And what I want to do is I want to build the damn table together. Like I want to start from scratch. I want to have everybody involved. I don't want a table that's already been built. I want to build it together. So who knows what that is, but I really want to just um, yeah, I want it to be everyone. I want it to include all of us within the fly fishing industry so we can make this the best sport that it is. Look, I don't know <laughs> if we can even finish on a better note than that. I think, I think I want to wrap it up right there. Before we wrap it up, is there anything that you would like to add or to ask me? Oh, um, no, you know, the only thing I guess I want to just um, challenge everyone is to choose to challenge, but um, just like, don't have assumptions, like never assume, 
right? Like never assume by looking at somebody that they're good or they're, uh, you know, like a decent angler or not a good angler or whatever it is. Just don't as- no, take those assumptions out of the way and just be open-minded and, and really just know that everyone has an experience and just that those, even if we've never learned those experiences, they're real to that individual. And those are the things that they, that's, how they've lived. And so be open-minded to that and know that um, we all can make a difference and we all can be mentors and we all should just share our knowledge and just continue, um, continue to build this awesome community. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening. 